I got a real simple message for you this Easter morning, but I hope it makes a simple and profound impact in your life. I'm reading from John chapter 10, the first nine verses. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will say no means, by any no means, would they ever follow a stranger, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, Jesus is using an illustration to his staff, his disciples, and like a lot of us, they don't get it. So now he interprets what he just said. Then Jesus said to him again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved go in and out and find pasture. Well, very often Jesus used natural things to explain spiritual truth. And when he says, I am the door, he's not just painting a nice picture to explain about coming into heaven and the kingdom of God. When in time Jesus says, I am something, no matter what he refers to himself as, there's a wealth of information behind the thing that he's like. Have you ever considered the history that goes into the making of a door. A wooden door is obviously made out of wood. Wood comes from a tree. A tree starts as a seed. And when Jesus says, I am the door, it's going to reveal incredible insight about him from birth to the cross. So the door comes out of a tree, which is made of wood, and a tree is grown from a seed. So if you trace the history of Jesus, you begin to realize the one who said, I am the door, that's Jesus, started as a seed. So you go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and in chapter 3, the Bible speaks of Jesus as a seed. And God, speaking to the devil in verse 15, says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between your seed, Satan, and her seed. It shall bruise your head or crush your head in authority, but you shall bruise his heel. Now that occurred at the cross when Jesus was crucified. So how do we know Jesus is the seed spoken of in Genesis 3? Well, this verse explains why the seed would be born. Jesus said the seed of the woman will crush your head. That word used in King James, bruise, means to crush or totally overwhelm the enemy. Now, there's no other person born on the face of the earth that has totally overcome the devil but our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Acts, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were under the power or authority of the devil. That's in Acts 10. The second reason Jesus is the seed is because this verse explains not only why he would be born to crush the enemy's authority, but how he would be born. In Galatians 4, 4, St. Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman. 
In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's kind of funny, but my grandfather was Luther Emmanuel Godwin Sr. And my daddy was Luther Emmanuel Godwin Jr. Well, guess who was up to bat third? But my mother intervened and said, we'll just call him Ricky. <laughs> I love you, Mama. I'll see you sometime in heaven. So the seed God speaks of in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, refers to Jesus because God doesn't say their seed, Adam and Eve. He said her seed. Paul says the seed of the woman. And when Jesus was born, he didn't have any human blood in his veins from an earthly father. Jesus was not born of the seed of man, but of the woman. When Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, the blood running through his veins was the blood of God. Mary conceived supernaturally as a virgin by the Holy Spirit to protect Christ's divinity. He, he was spotless, sinless, pure, and undefiled. He was the only begotten of the Father, the seed. But Jesus didn't say, I'm the seed, did he? He said, I am the door. So the next process, if we're going to see a door come out of a tree, is the seed becomes a little sapling, a tender plant. That little seed starts to shoot up, and it becomes a tender plant. Isaiah saw it thousands of years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah 53, in verse 2, speaking of Jesus, he grew up before him like a tender plant, like a root out of the dry ground. So Jesus, the seed, is now the tender plant or the sapling. Jesus said, I am the door. But a wooden door comes from a tree, which comes from a seed. And Isaiah saw a tender plant like a root out of dry ground that becomes a sapling. What was Isaiah seeing? He was seeing a decaying, rotten log. No life in it, barren and dead. But before him in a vision, he saw the world just like that, with no hope, barren and dead and without God. And then he saw again and saw coming out of that deadness and barrenness, coming out of that dry ground, he saw a tender shoot. Now, the world may be decaying, it may be dark, it may be a rotting stump. But when you look again, there's a shoot coming out of that dry ground, and Isaiah saw it. There's a shoot coming out of that barrenness, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Life was coming. If you look at the picture, that's Mount St. Helens about a year after that huge explosion and devastation. And you see the first glimpse of life coming out of that gray mass of deadness. And when Isaiah saw that, hope sprang up in his heart. That's what our life can be like with Christ in it. Our life can be like the landscape of Mount St. Helens, dry, barren, ugly, and dead, but the way to change it is for God to put a seed in your life. And the moment you give your life to Jesus, your life becomes like a garden in spring. It's full of beauty. It's full of joy. It's full of life now. So he was the seed. He was the tender plant. But remember, Jesus said, I am the door. And the tender plant grows until it becomes a sapling and eventually a tree. And it says of Jesus in Luke 2, verse 40, and the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So Jesus, the seed, the tender plant, the sapling, now is growing up into a tall tree maturing. 
But Jesus said, I am the door. But then something took place when he was 30 years of age. John the Baptist, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, saw this tree, that's Jesus, up until now, he looked just like any other tree, like any other person. He looked just like all the other people around him, nothing particularly special about him in appearance. I, I hate to break your bubble, but there was no halo. There were no little naked baby angels going around his head. An artist drew that. In fact, Judas had to kiss him so the soldiers could identify who he was. Hello. Now we're thinking. So he looked just as normal as anybody else around him. He never did any miracles until he was 30 years of age. So until this moment with John the Baptist, he was thought to be ordinary, just like everybody else. But John said in chapter 1, verse 29, when he looked at Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus went up to John and said, Now, John, baptize me. And John fully immersed Jesus into the water, as we'll do after the service with those that wish to be baptized. And when Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. And that tree that looked just like all the other trees in God's garden suddenly began to spread his branches and tower over every other tree that God had planted. God had planted some pretty great trees in past days. There had been Noah, Enoch, Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, Elijah, John the Baptist. But that day, this tree shot up higher than the other trees. And this is how the apostle Paul saw it, Hebrews 1. God, who at different times and in different ways spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of everything, by whom he made all the worlds. So Jesus, the seed, the tender plant, the sapling, the tree, the mighty oak. Yeah, Rick, but God wanted a door. God wasn't happy with just the seed. That wasn't the goal. He was not happy with just a tender plant. He was not happy with just a tree or even a mighty oak. God wanted a door. And Jesus said, I am the door. Now, if you and I were carpenters and we had been commissioned to build a special door, this door would want to be the finest quality for its purpose. It would be hung in a place of prominence and everybody would see it. So we knew right away, we better get the right wood or this door is going to be no good. We would begin to walk through the forest, look for the right wood, the right tree, and we pass all kinds of great trees, but they're not the right one. And then all of a sudden, we come to a clearing, and standing on its own, separate, taller, and more beautiful than the other trees in the garden, is this right tree. And we would say, that's the tree, cut it down. That tree has been there for hundreds of years. People come from all over to see the tree. Surely we won't cut that tree down. But carpenters know we want a door, not a tree. Now, perhaps the environmentalists would scream, don't cut it down. What a waste. And many people still can't understand why at the prime of life, when Jesus was 33 years of age, this miraculous person, thousands of people are resting under the shade of this mighty tree God had planted, and they had plucked the fruit of healing, salvation, forgiveness, and deliverance. Why cut it down? The seed, the tender plant, the sapling, the tree, the mighty oak, Jesus Christ, as he walked on the face of this earth, 
That's him. But God didn't want a tree. God wanted a door. And people still say, like the disciples, why? They ran away and fled at his crucifixion. What's going on? What a waste. I can't believe this is happening as they saw the Son of God cut down. Isaiah says this in chapter 53. He was cut off from the land of the living. And people still say, what a waste. Why cut down something when it is rocking and it's at its best? But the one who planted it, God the Father, had a greater purpose. He wanted a door. Now, some of you may be confused why Jesus had to die. Some still can't make any sense of the cross. Some still say, what a waste. What happened there? The death of Jesus was not an accident. It didn't take God by surprise. And by the way, nobody took his life. He said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. A big difference, huh? Because Jesus said to the disciples, guys, you're not getting the story. I've got to be betrayed, handed over to wicked men because I've got to be betrayed and die. They just couldn't wrap their head around it. Why? Because God the Father wanted a door. Now, the tree wouldn't be enough. He needed a door. And Jesus said, I am the door. And he was cut off. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, the Bible says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now, you can talk. We got builders in this room. You can talk to any carpenter, and they will never say, I'm going to put this door up. You know what they always say? I'm going to hang this door. Galatians 3, verse 13. Here's what St. Paul said. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus, the seed, the tender plant, the sapling, the mighty oak, cut down and hung on that cross. Now, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he became a curse. He became the object of God's wrath, so it wouldn't be you. The 100% innocent was dying for the 100% guilty. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He who had no sin was becoming or made sin for all of us that we might inherit his righteousness. Now capture this verse, verse 6, Isaiah 53. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let me pause there and say this. Everything you've ever done, every vile thing you can imagine in your life, the judgment for it was laid upon Christ. Jesus took the punishment I deserve. But Rick, what about this? And what about, you're right. It was laid, the punishment for it was laid on Jesus. Now, this may upset a lot of you, but God isn't mad at anybody. And the reason he's not mad is that he says he poured his wrath and indignation on Christ. He fully satisfied and was appeased in his wrath that he poured out on his sinless son. Now, I have an opportunity while I'm pumping blood and I can think and reason to accept this gift of forgiveness or I can go ahead and die and now I face the penalty Jesus took in my place. So either you can pay or you can let him pay for you. So he's laid the iniquity of the whole world on Jesus. If you ever say, God's judging you for that, stop it. 
That is theologically incorrect. The judgment was laid on Jesus completely. Judgment will follow this life without Christ. But right now, we're in a dispensation of grace and mercy. Take advantage of this good news. See, the whole world without Jesus is under a curse. And if your life has never been transformed by the power of Jesus, the Bible says there's a curse hanging over your head, over your life. Maybe in the movie, if you remember Bridge on the River Kwai, when the Japanese collected all the shovels and picks used to build this massive bridge, people were dying by the thousands. There was one pick missing. The Japanese lined all the men up and said, unless we find out who is hiding this pick, every 10 minutes we will kill one of you. The prisoners stood there. The whole camp was under a curse. All the men were potentially on death row. If the guy didn't confess, everybody's going to die. Five minutes went by. Nobody came forward. The whole camp is under a curse. And all of a sudden, one man came forward and said, there's no need to kill everybody. I did it. Well, they took him down to the river, shot him in the back of the head, and the curse was lifted off the camp. When they went back to the camp, they discovered they had counted wrong. All the shovels and picks were there and accounted for. Someone had made a mistake in counting. But somebody gave his life to lift the curse off the whole camp. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He lifted the curse from your life and mine. And the message of God to this cursed world is that Jesus hung on a tree 2,000 years ago to take your punishment, my punishment, even though he was completely innocent. It was our sin, our selfishness, our pride. You and I should be the ones on that cross. But Jesus said, Father, I'll take the punishment. I'll take the curse. Punish me instead of them. That's why when you think about Jesus being the door and you think about, well, I'm just going to try to live a good moral life and I'll get, I'll get to heaven. Well, I'm just going to try to do good deeds. Well, I'm just going to give to charities. And you're, looking at another, you're not looking at the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, I call that clear scripture. I don't care if you're Methodist, Episcopalian, or Catholic. Nobody's coming going to the Father except through the door of Jesus Christ. No man. He said that clearly. Now, there are plenty of scriptures that are obscure, not quite clear. That ain't one of them. That's real clear. You know, when I land an airplane, I get real narrow-minded about the runway. I, I want to stay on the runway. Yeah. And when it comes to eternity and eternal life, and it comes to Jesus who said, no one comes to the Father except by me. On that point, I get very narrow-minded. There's no exception to that. Sorry, Mary can't help you. Sorry, St. Peter can't help you. You can put them all over your dashboard, but it won't help you. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One uno mediator. One. And that's him. That's why every single person here today who doesn't know Jesus, you're still living under that curse of death. The enemy still has legal authority over you. But you can say to Jesus today, thank you, Jesus, for lifting this curse. I receive you, Jesus. So Jesus, the seed, the tender plant, the sapling, the tree, the mighty oak was cut off. And when Jesus hung on that cross, it says in Colossians 2, 
He defeated principalities and powers and made an open show of them, triumphing over them through the cross. They thought they were killing the Son of God, but the Son of God was destroying death, hell, and the grave and defeating all the evil forces of hell. And then Jesus rose from the dead with the keys of death and hell in his hands. And he says to every single person who's attacked by the enemy, you don't have to live like this, guilty, condemned, shamed, accused. You don't have to be dictated to by the will and wiles of the enemy. Well, Rick, is there any way out? Oh, yeah. Jesus said, I am the door. And this is where we come to the real purpose of a door. The real purpose of a door is to leave one environment and enter into, come on door, enter into another environment. My builders say the cost of materials has gone sky high so I can only afford a door <laughs> instead of the house here. But it's an entrance. So all I've got to do, if you want to walk into Summit, all you got to do is walk through the door. Can you see why the Father sent Jesus? Not to be a seed, not to be a tender plant, not to be a sapling, not to be a mighty oak, not even to be hung on the cross to stay there. The purpose of sending Jesus was to make him a door. And that is what the resurrection did. We don't serve a dead Christ. We don't serve a Christ still hanging on a cross. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. Did you know that the tomb in Jerusalem is the only tourist attraction people will line up to see nothing? You can't say that about all these other religious gurus. Their dead bodies and bones are still in the grave. And the devil can't stop anyone from walking through that door. No one. No one. The enemy will try. He will confuse you. Don't go. Don't go. You don't know what's on the other side. But I'll tell you anyway. Salvation, forgiveness, restoration, healing, emotional stability, deliverance, joy, and peace. I want to show you a young lady from our church that walked through that door, and I want you to watch this before I close. Before I personally met Jesus, I was angry all the time. I did not love myself or value myself, and I was just trying to fill God-sized holes with anything and everything. I'm Brittany Danielle Rios. I'm 25. I remember the night my dad left. It was just kind of my mom crying on the bed and my dad walking out the door. I wasn't a happy kid anymore. And like you can see it through like all our photos. You see it going from just a happy kid to angry and wanting to run away. I went looking for love anywhere I could. I wanted the attention and the love that I wasn't getting from a father figure and then I ended up in a abusive relationship and then it would just turn into a point where you just feel scared and trapped and he was just throwing me around, choking me and leaving me by myself at like three in the morning downtown, drives off with my car, like takes all my money. He was constantly on drugs so he was like, here, try some and then that's when I realized I don't have to feel anything, I don't have to think about anything. I can forget who I am, where I am, what I'm doing in life. And um, I stayed because, hey, at least somebody loved me. I had decided to break up with said boyfriend. And so he calls me that morning and he's like, hey, I need your help, just one last time. I go and I help him, I pick him up, and then I go to where he was living just to get threatened and held hostage at gunpoint for multiple hours and raped. Sorry. The 
turning point of being held hostage was I'm me asking a God that I didn't believe in to save me, that no matter what, please take care of me. And a few hours later, don't know why, just goes, okay, Brittany, I never want to see you again, leave, and gives me my car and my car keys. So after that, I went straight to the police and to the hospital. When I got out is when I realized, okay, I can't do this by myself anymore. And then I came to Summit and I found help and resources. I went to Chosen of 2017. I got sponsored. I was listening to all the women's testimonies, especially Pastor Cindy's. That day, um, I gave my life to Christ genuinely and I got to see my value through his eyes, not what the world was depicting me as or how I depicted myself. Also made the decision to get baptized. I have never been the same again. Life isn't like magically easier, but it's definitely better with Christ than it is without him. I didn't love myself. I saw myself as weak and um, ugly and just unworthy and unwanted of any type of love and affection. But when I found Christ, it's the complete opposite. You can't tell me I'm ugly. <laughs> I'm now engaged to be married to a man who loves me and God more than me. <laughs> we have a son on the way <laughs> and I can't be more excited. I'm so blessed to have such new life growing in me. God is giving me a whole new life, a life of freedom, broken chains. I now know myself, my value. I am so loved and I know how perfect he is. I could never in a million years go back to life without him. Wow, thank you, Brittany. Thank you for sharing that real intimate, personal story. That's real life. You know, that's just, that's the way life is really. Tr trusting Jesus doesn't mean it's all up, it's all downhill and I don't have any trouble. It means that the enemy's authority, headship has been crushed. He has no legal authority to dominate me. He can attack me, he does. We had that ice storm, I, I took a real hit. But he cannot dominate me, and he cannot hold me as a prisoner. And when he tries to accuse or condemn, I can rebuke him right back because Jesus took my condemnation, my shame and guilt, the weapons of the enemy, and took them away from him. Now, he cannot use that against me, or you. So it's not like I just have a, a trouble-free life. Well, you'll get that once, once you get to heaven. But right now, it's not trouble-free. But the enemy doesn't have legal authority to destroy you. In fact, he can't take you out until the Father approves of that last day. Your days are numbered in a book. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. I am begotten of God, the wicked one touches me not. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I am quoting my defensive weapons, and so you're going to have to take the enemy on till the day you go to meet Jesus. It's a fight, but it's a fixed fight. You've already got the victory. You're more than a conqueror. That means that you're already a winner before you get to the final, the final round. So I want you to be strong and to understand this gives you some weapons now to defeat the enemy as he plans his attack against God's people. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.